Welcome to the Horizon Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our mission as a church is to win people to Jesus Christ, disciple people in Jesus Christ, and send people for Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. We hope this episode encourages you in your walk with Jesus as you continue to grow in His love and truth. Now, let's join Pastor Bob as we study God's Word together. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Merry Christmas. Good seeing you all here. God bless you. If you have a Bible, we are in the book this morning, actually. A little surprise. I want to give you a little Christmas backstory today. So uh, you got your Bible, everyone? You got it in your back pocket, like me, like right here? <laughs> Hold them up. Let's see the Word of God. Amen, church. Well-fed sheep. Come on, someone say amen. amen. Okay, so the backstory today comes from the book of Genesis. That's where Christmas starts. And I only have a few messages left in this decade. Isn't that crazy? What a decade it has been. Who's ready for the roaring 20s? Huh? We're going to get it on, man. It's going to be great. So um, if I was to say to you, uh, reverse the curse, some of you would think Chicago Cubs. Some of you would think Boston Red Sox. Some of you would think San Diego Chargers, which I don't know why, because that curse has not been reversed. I don't see it being reversed anytime soon. What we should all be thinking is Christmas. Christmas reverses the curse. Hallelujah. That's why God sent his son. That's why Jesus was born. And that's what we're told in Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read the chapter to you. I'm going to prove to you for Christmas that I can go short. <laughs> why are you laughing at that? You're all laughing at me. Uh, I'm going to give you both barrels. And I'm going to go short, because my staff is sick, sicker than a dog. And uh, you heard it in Stephen's voice. One of our soloists sang last night, did an amazing job. Um, Reese did, but couldn't sing this morning, just in bed, laid out, sicker than ever. And uh, we got Living Nativity, tis the season, and... Uh, Let's pray for him. Would you just join me? Lord, we just want to lift up our staff to you. What an amazing staff we have. And they're getting pounded, uh, church and school. And uh, in faith, we just lift them before your throne of grace. They're working overtime. They're putting all these scenes together. The amazing turnout of volunteers yesterday. It's, it's staff and volunteers and leaders and servants that make children's ministry happen that make this incredible outreach to North County happen. And Lord, would you just touch them with your healing grace this morning? Would you fill them with your Holy Spirit? Would you inspire them that the work is worth it? And as we will see now in this passage, it is worth it because Christmas breaks the curse. 
And may we rejoice in that today. Um, You love it when we dwell together in unity. And may we now uh, unitedly come together around your throne and before your word and ask you to pour into us and, and speak your truth into us. And, and Lord, may the, may the fruit be pleasing in your sight, both now and forever. May souls be saved this week through living nativity. Would you bless the Christmas Eve services? Would you just have your hand on this ministry and campus and all the families represented in Jesus' name? Amen? Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Genesis chapter 3. Follow along. Here's what he does. He says to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, Which is odd to speak to a serpent nonetheless. Oh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. A a little leaving of the script there. She kind of ad-libs. He didn't say don't touch it. She's sort of like, for the most part, getting it and, and certainly gets the consequence. And the day that you eat of it, you'll die. Verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. You will not surely. So he's doubting God's word. He's questioning God's authority. It's what he always does. For God knows, verse 5, that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, looked good, like a Harry and David care package. Wow, this looks good. When it looked good, it was pleasant to the eyes. And the tree desirable, so it looked good. Sin always does. Sin always looks good. Looks desirable. It looks desirable. Wow, look at that. Pleasant to the eyes. Desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and she ate. And also gave it to her husband with her. With her. He's with her. He's not watching the game. He's not home on the couch. He is where? with her, silently with her. Learn the lesson of that, guys. Doesn't speak up, just kind of goes along, acquiesces, and um, what? Ah. They ate of it and their eyes were both opened and they knew that they were naked and immediately attempted to cover it up. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And, and then, verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and, and, and Adam and his wife hid themselves. Okay, so there's, there's the first response when we sin. Here's the first, fear. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Good luck with that. Right? Like, good luck with that on Jupiter. Good luck with that. 
They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. A little hide and seek going on here. And, and the Lord God called, he called to Adam and he said, where are you? He said, well, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. First response, here's this. I was afraid because I was naked. Okay, so fear followed by shame. Okay, I just want to give you a few things here. I know you know this story, but let's unpack it together. The results of the fall, results of the fall, fear and shame. We hid because we were ashamed. We were naked. I hid myself. And he said, who told you that? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat? And the, and the man said, the woman. <laughs> the woman who you gave me. Okay, so fear, come on. Shame, what? Blame. Blame game. It's the woman. You thought that was such a good idea bringing her. This is, so it's her fault. It's your fault. It's not my fault. Blame. The woman you gave me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, it's a serpent. Okay. Um, uh, fear. Shame. Blame and denial. Denial. That serpent. He deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God, okay, so here we go. Here we get to the curse. So the Lord God said to the servant, Because you have done this, you are cursed. More than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field, on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman. Here's the Christmas message right here in verse 15. Between your seed, talking to the serpent, serpent, between your lineage, between your, between your seed and her seed, capital S. See that? Capital S. Now that's interesting because the woman doesn't carry the seed unless the seed is miraculously placed within her between your seed serpent and her seed her seed being Jesus Christ I will bring enmity between you and he shall bruise your head he he her seed he capital H Jesus Christ will bruise your head interesting word shuf in the Hebrew shuf say it shuf Four times in the Bible, four times. Twice in this verse, one other time in the book of Job. That makes sense. And once in Psalm 139, when darkness comes upon me, his light will shine through for me. Shuf means crushed. When the darkness crushes in on me, when the darkness covers me, his light will come through. This, this word here, he will, write this down, he will crush, he will strike, he will cover. Literally, it's the Hebrew word overwhelm. He, he, he will bruise your head. He'll crush your head, man. He'll strike you. He'll, he'll overwhelm your head. But you will 
We, we really don't even want the end of this verse to be in there, but, it, but, but, it, but it's here. And if it wasn't in there, then Calvary wouldn't have happened. But here's the promise. You will bruise his heel. You'll strike his heel. He'll take on venom and he will die. But in that death, this curse will be broken. This curse will be broken. This curse. The curse first and foremost that the Lord God lands on the serpent. You are cursed. I like the old King James. Cursed are you, God says to the serpent. What's he say to the woman? Fascinating what he says to the woman. Even more fascinating, church. Fascinating what he says. Even more fascinating what he doesn't say. Look at it with me. Look what he says. Verse 16, the woman said, to the woman he said, I'll greatly multiply your sorrow. I'll greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Uh, Your desire, look at this. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Isn't that relevant? Don't be looking at this. Don't be looking at me this morning and go, oh, this is like prehistoric, so old-fashioned. What are you talking about? This couldn't be more relevant, church, that the major profound aspect of the curse is packaged within the reversal of sexual roles. Dominantly proclaimed by God that there will be gender confusion as a result of the curse. How many genders are we up to now? Like, don't even answer. Don't email. I don't even want to know. But it is the result of this. And it's what he declares to the woman. What he doesn't say to the woman is, you're cursed. Some of you are living under the feeling of thinking that the weight of it all is because you're cursed. God never says that doesn't say that to the woman. In fact, doesn't say it to the man. Look at verse 17. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and you have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed. And I think he's like, he's like this. Ah, because there's that word. And he's just heard him curse the serpent and say, on your belly you will crawl in the dirt the rest of your life. I think Adam is poised for the worst and he hears the word cursed and he's like, here he comes, duck! And what's God say? Cursed is the ground for your sake. Are you kidding me? Are you following? Are you tracking along? This is amazing, you guys. He's not cursed. The ground is cursed. Cursed is the ground. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles. It shall bring forth for you, and you will eat the herb of the field, and in the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now don't you sort of think that's fascinating in the sense that what if you were the ground? If you were the ground, the ground is sort of like... What did I do? But somebody's got to bear the curse. And the curse is not given to the woman, even though she royally screwed up. The curse is not given to the man, although he royally remained absent when he should have spoken up. The ground gets the curse. The ground's sort of like, 
why do I continue to be treated like dirt, right? Isn't that what the ground is thinking? Verse 20, Adam called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics. Here's the first Christmas morning. God shows up and gives them gifts and makes them outfits, tunics of skin. He clothed them. God clothed them, didn't curse them. He clothed them. See, I think there's a bunch of jacked up, guilt-ridden, condemning theologies out there that are keeping us like Eeyore, living under a dark, rainy, stormy cloud of an angry God, okay? So I'm amazed he doesn't curse him. I'm even more amazed he goes to the extent of covering up their shame and nakedness and fear and the blame of it all and, 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 and the denial of it all. He, he meets them where they are. And the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us. Now who's he talking to? Here's a clue. Incidentally, here's a clue. The us is capitalized. Who's he talking to? The Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God there in the garden. Jesus doesn't show up for the first time in Bethlehem. Here he is, the creator of the universe. And, 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 and God's like, okay, here's the deal. Um, plan B, they've become like us. They know the difference between good and evil. And now let's they put out their hand and also eat of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the, God, uh, the Lord God sent them out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. That's interesting. Uh, the curse further dominantly displayed in the aspect of work. He says, go, go make a living. Go, go toil the ground. In other words, work is not a curse but work is cursed. Do you see the difference? Work is not a curse. God says, go work. Go toilet, but it's going to be dang hard. The ground's going to be hard. The ground's cursed. Work is not a curse. Work is cursed. Making a living is not a curse. Making a living is cursed. Dwell on that. Think, think on that. Because he, 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 he clearly says, um, go till the ground from which he was taken. And so he drove out the man and he placed a cherubim. Okay, check this out. Verse 24. He placed a cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden. Cherubim. Uh, just another word for angels. Angels are there. The angels are there now uh, protecting access, guarding access. He also, he also what? Puts a flaming sword that spins. Flaming sword which turned every day to guard the way of the tree of life. There's the backstory. 
There's what we have to understand in order to truly appreciate Christmas, the backstory of the cure for all that was bad, the cure for all that was broken, the cure for all that was blown up. And it's all bad and broken and blown up right out of the gate in Genesis chapter 3. We could call it the first atom bomb. (laughs) But Christmas cures the curse. Hallelujah. We can't take Christ out of Christmas. You will gut it and hollow it of all of its glory. See, Christmas begins thousands of years before the events in Bethlehem, where its purpose is proclaimed, where its power is predicted. This is the proto-evangelion. What is that? Proto means first. Evangelion means gospel. This is the first gospel message, and it's preached by God in the garden. When everything blew up and left the rails and was bad and was broken, here's the purpose of Christmas proclaimed. Here's the power of Christmas predicted. Let let me just give this to you. If if you're a note taker, here's what I want to cover. Fast. I'm going fast. It's prediction. It's purpose. It's process, power, and product. It's all I got. It's prediction. Purpose, process, power, and product. Real quick, prediction. Verse 15. He's going to take you out, you cursed serpent. He's going to defeat you, man. He's going to crush, strike, cover, bruise, shoof your head, overwhelm you. That's the prediction. That's a lasting prediction. It's not an instant prediction. That is a a promised, proclaimed victory, but it doesn't happen immediately. I, I, I think Adam and Eve were sort of like hoping that would happen like Monday. It didn't happen Monday. And it didn't happen the following week or month or year. Decades go by. Generations are born and buried before the prediction is fulfilled. Time's a funny thing, you guys. Time sometimes messes with us. Isn't it true? It seems... I'll date myself. I just kind of think um, the older you get, the faster time goes. It seems as if the days themselves are long, but the years are shorter. And that's true, especially with kids, and especially with kids around this time. The days leading up to Christmas just drag on. When's Christmas coming? When do we get to open? And the the days of the summer are so fleeting. Like, why is it that August flies by and the first 23 days of December drag on. Time's crazy. Mark Bruner writes about it and says, and I quote, time, time, time. As children, we have very difficult time understanding the concept of time, the concept of now, the concept of later. Time is always now when we're kids. Later is not a concept that, 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 that we either care about or really can even grasp. Children live in the now. 
They have little understanding of the later. Because of their limited comprehension of the concept of time, children find it difficult to work within the bounds which we adults set upon them. It's time for bed. It's time for bed. We call out as the evening slips into night. But to a child, it is only the time to be doing what he is presently doing. Perceiving that one event is followed by another in a structured sequence is not something easily grasped by a five-year-old anxious to do now. Now, not later. So it is. So it is, Bruner says. So it is also with us. Big kids. Big kids in the room. With our concerns of balancing God's timetable versus our timetable, it becomes difficult for us to understand that our focus on the here and now may not be the same focus of our Heavenly Father. His perspective of time is not often the perspective that we share. We ask for a blessing. We ask for a gift. And if we don't receive it in the allotted time, we become miffed at God. We get disappointed. And if God delays an answer for too long of a period, that disappointment can easily become discouragement and lead to division. We look longingly to the skies in the shadow of our Heavenly Father's grace and we ask impatiently, Is it time yet? We ask because it's what we like and it's it's what we want. And, and, And truly, even as adults, we have little regard for what might be better for us based on God's perfect timing. And when God is ready, He will do it. When God is ready, He will do it. Not necessarily when we would like it, but when he deems it to be the perfect time. He's never late. Rarely early. But the prediction is worth us holding on to. Not for its instantaneous, immediate fix, but for its lasting and eternal promise. That's the promise, secondly, of the purpose. The purpose of the prediction is definitely worth the wait. Now, we're trying to repackage sin to make it sound and look different. I read this last week that dishonesty is now being called different honesty. (laughs) Stealing Non-traditional shopping. (laughs) Drunkenness. You get the idea. I almost feel like the serpent is the first Santa. What an imitator. What is your wish, my pretty? Maybe that's more Wizard of Oz than Christmas. (laughs) And your little dog, too. (laughs) Either way, aren't we even still challenged in this season, in this time, in this moment? Challenged to crave things we don't need 
and, and, and really in the end don't even want. I mean, if, that's Eve to a T. She didn't need it. And when it's all said and done, gosh, she didn't even want it. I'm reading a book by Jonathan Edwards. It's called The Nature of True Virtue. And, and Edwards is amazing. He's just incredibly brilliant theologian who says that even, even our goodness, and he's not making this up, this is quite relevant to us and, and, and right out of Scripture, that our, even our best days, even our righteousness, even our good acts are as what? What are they, church? Filthy rags. Even the good things that we want, even the good things that we desire, even, even, even those, Edward says, in the nature of true virtue, he says there's two types of virtue. But ultimately, when it comes down to our attempts for virtue, our attempt for virtue, even on our best day, our goodness is always saturated. Our good deeds are always submerged in fear and pride. We live in those same four fallen words, sinful traits of fear and of shame and of blame and of denial. Even our highest virtues, Edward says, they're jury-rigged. That thirdly, this purpose that's predicted can only come about through a new birth. The process is a new birth. Just like what happens with Mary the process of, 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 an, of, a, of a birth first miraculously in Mary is the process through which this purpose that is predicted comes to us through being born from above. Not in our goodness. Our goodness is rigged. Even our good deeds are ridden through and through with fear and pride. So the process has to come from outside of us and it comes through this miraculous birth that happens to Mary and now also must happen to us in order for this purpose to be accomplished and all the promises predicted. As Jesus would say to Nicodemus, you must be, what, born again. That's the power. That's the power. Fourthly, are you tracking? We're flying. The prediction, the purpose, the process… It's a miraculous process of being born from above, and the power of that is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It is His seed, not our seed, not us fixing it. We will remain forever under the curse if we're going to think that we can attempt to crawl out and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's His seed the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. Mary's like, how can this be? Oh, Mary, so glad you asked. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit is the process. It's the Holy Spirit. It is His seed, the seed of the Lord Jesus Christ that severs a fatal blow against your enemy. It is His seed that severs a fatal blow against sin and sets the captives free. It is His seed. It is the source of His seed that defeats 
the satanic realm and splits the silence. You see, it just wasn't all of these books that separate the first Christmas in Genesis from the showing up miraculously of the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. It's not only the books of the Old Testament, it's 400 years of silence, utter silence. Heaven uttering no words from Malachi to Matthew. And the silence is split through the source of this seed that severs a fatal blow and breaks the snare of the old covenant and provides a new and awesome way for us to be right with God, not in our own abilities and strengths. Our sorrows are swallowed up. How can this be, Mary says. And Jill Briscoe so beautifully said it to the ladies at the Christmas tea. Mary's overwhelmness was overcome by the Holy Spirit. That's what Isaac Watts is singing about. Isaac Watts wrote that song we just sang, Joy to the World. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. This guy was crazy. Isaac Watts was a nonconformist. He applied to Oxford and was not allowed in. You know why? Because he wouldn't go along with all of the thinkings of the governmental, man-centered work of the Church of England, which controlled Oxford, incidentally, and Cambridge. Both of them denied his access for admittance. So he goes to some podoc unheard of school in London and literally becomes, Isaac Watts becomes the Martin Luther of London. Martin Luther stood up against the Catholic Church and said, it can't be about us. It's got to be about this purpose and process of the Holy Spirit being birthed in our lives that's going to break the curse. And boy, in 800 hymns, did Isaac Watts bring that reformation to England and the Anglican Church. That's who we're to be. Nonconformists of the culture that surrounds us. Religion will get you nowhere. That ultimately, last and fifthly, is the product. Notice, please, in Genesis chapter 3, great care and concern is shown forth by God towards Adam and Eve. Guys, where are you? We usually meet around this time of the day. What's happened? There is deep care and merciful concern in the heart of God towards Adam and Eve. His questions are sincere. What's happened? Who told you this? What's gone on? Where, where are you? There is no care. There is no concern for who? For who? For Adam? No, there's great care for Adam. For Eve? There there is no care. There is no question asked. There is no concern for this serpent. Serpent, cursed are you. What does cursed mean? Look it up. Webster's Dictionary will tell you that cursed means you are consigned to destruction. You really can't even say that about guys on death row. They're getting three squares and a basketball game every day. But to this serpent, you 
from here on out will crawl on your belly and you are consigned for destruction. He very easily could have said that to Adam. He could have said that to Eve. He does not say that to either one of them. He curses the ground. He curses the snake. Cursed is not the man. Cursed is not the woman. You will suffer because of the curse. You'll be affected because of the curse. You'll be, this is entirely different than a God of the universe looking at you face to face and saying, you're cursed. A lot different to say you'll be affected by the curse. You will suffer because of the curse. You'll be surrounded by the curse. But no, no, heavens no, you're not cursed. You are made in my image. In fact, I will become the curse that you deserve. I will bear the brunt of that. I will pay the price. You are my beloved child. He doesn't say to them, you're on your own. You go now and save yourself. You get on with your own life. Cure your, cure your own curse. Give me three Hail Marys and 20 living nativities and work in the nursery. That's purgatory right there. It's like... He says, Merry Christmas. I will come and I will cure your curse far as the curse is found. Bob, wait a minute. They, they leave paradise. You read it. He drove them out, man. Yeah, they left paradise. But who else left paradise? Jesus Christ emptied himself of all the glory of paradise and took upon himself the form of a man to bear man's curse. Gosh! And the sword that spins, the sword that turns, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God according to Ephesians chapter 6. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The sword is open on your lap. The sword to lead you, to guide you, to defend you, and to protect you. His Spirit is upon you as it was upon Mary. He doesn't say, get on with your lives. He goes with them. He goes with them, and yes, he sets cherubim to guard the access of the garden. Angels. And when do those angels show up next? I don't know, like maybe over the star-filled sky of Bethlehem, the cherubim cry out, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, what, what, what? Peace. Your curse is crushed. Your curse is broken. Peace and goodwill to all men. Those cherubim. When Jesus dies on the cross, there's this, there's this amazing picture of an insight I just want to share with you. 
that when he dies, the, the curtain in the temple is torn. And it's torn, incidentally, from top to bottom. Sixty feet tall, this curtain is. No scissor lifts. Sixty feet tall, thirty feet wide. Some say an inch thick. I've read four inches thick. This veil is rent. It is torn. There's this ripping sound that comes from the temple the moment Jesus on the cross says, it is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. The curse is broken and the access that was denied is now reopened. Do you know what was on that curtain? There's one verse that'll tell you what was on that curtain. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 3. 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 14. Let me read it to you. And he made the veil. Okay, this is Solomon. This is describing Solomon's work in building the temple. Now we're to the veil in verse 14. 2 Chronicles 3, verse 14. And he made the veil of blue and of purple and crimson and fine linen and wove cherubim into it. What? The only verse that describes the veil. He wove cherubim, angels, angels like in Genesis 3 that guarded the access from schmoes like you and not even us. We're Gentiles. From the schmooliks. <laughs> from being able to enter the very presence of God. The veil separated them from the holy of holies. The veil that was covered with the angelic cherubim as it was in the beginning, but now torn in two and the access made available through the shed blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yes, he has to send them out. Yes, Cain is going to screw up, but even Cain's curse, he says, cursed is the ground. He doesn't look at Cain and say, cursed are you. In fact, even with Cain, I'm telling you the truth, he marks him. So that if anyone touches him, it'll be seven times worse for that guy. That's how much God's love and mercy wants to overcome for you and I the curse that we deserve. He says, yeah, you're going to have to leave the garden, but I am going to come and leave my garden and break the curse and set you free. In fact, I'm going with you as you now are forced to leave. I'm going with you to war for you, for the battle belongs to the Lord. And I'm going to defeat the serpent that deceived you, and I'm going to break your curse. We have reason to rejoice in the fact that our God is a spell-breaking, curse-smashing, miracle-working, Satan-defeating Savior, and he, he never fails he finishes what he has promised. He'll never leave you. He'll, he'll, he'll never forsake you. He unconditionally loves you. And the last thing that he would want you to ever think of yourself is that you are cursed. Now, I agree with you. That, that analogy taken throughout Scripture, that analogy will begin to break down the further into Scripture you go. And the further man begin to stray away from his blessings, the more characteristics of the curse became the nature of who we are. 
until you have this spell-breaking, curse-smashing verse that says this, cursed is the man who is hung on a tree. The curse is broken. And I pray that you would just speak the truth and power and reality of that over your life this morning. The curse is broken in Jesus' name. Would you say that with me? Say it out loud. The curse is broken in Jesus' name. Turn to someone next to you. Turn to someone next to you and say it to them. The curse is broken in Jesus' name. The curse is broken in Jesus' name. The curse is broken in Jesus' name. Merry Christmas, Horizon. Merry Christmas in Jesus' name. Come on, let's stand. Let's stand together. Lord, that's your Christmas gift to us this year. The gift of your presence. Showers of blessing and grace and mercy and love in exchange for what we deserve. May the darkness faint and the demons tremble because of what has been accomplished in this room this morning. May souls be saved and marriages healed and kids encouraged that they are not cursed by their creator. They are loved. They are cherished. And what you have come to accomplish, Lord, for us should transform the way we go about our lives. And may we go about it now more than ever for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for joining the Horizon Church podcast with Pastor Bob. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast channel. And if this message has blessed you, please share it either directly or on social media. If you live in the San Diego area, we'd love to have you join us at a weekend service or to catch our live stream, visit horizon.org live every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next time.